0: When we empathize with someone, it does not mean I agree with you or I disagree with you. It just means I see you. I see what's going on for you. I see how you're feeling. And I'm acknowledging that. Right. So at that moment, then you might say something like, oh, can you stop for a moment and talk to mommy? I don't know if you talk to her like that, but talk to me. And then you get to give her your honesty. And your honesty is pretty much the same as your self-empathy, So maybe you say something like, you know, the sound is hurting my head and it would be really nice if I could have a little bit of quiet, but I know how much fun you're having. So I'm wondering if we can talk about a way that you can have fun and I can also have some quiet.
1: Hi, I'm Jen and I host the Your Parenting Mojo podcast. We all want our children to lead fulfilling lives, but it can be so hard to keep up with the latest scientific research on child development and figure out whether and how to incorporate it into our own approach to parenting. Here at Your Parenting Mojo, I do the work for you by critically examining strategies and tools related to parenting and child development that are grounded in scientific research and principles of respectful parenting. If you'd like to be notified when new episodes are released and get a free guide to seven parenting myths that we can safely leave behind, seven fewer things to worry about, subscribe to the show at yourparentingmojo.com. You can also continue the conversation about the show with other listeners in the Your Parenting Mojo Facebook group. I do hope you'll join us. and welcome to the Your Parenting Mojo podcast. I'm so excited for today's episode because I think it really pulls together a lot of threads from previous shows, and it will also give you some really concrete new tools to support you in your parenting. Now, it's not like these are concepts that we've never discussed before, but sometimes hearing them in a different framework can be the key to making them click for you. And I'm releasing this particular interview today because these tools are ones we're learning how to use in the challenge that I'm kicking off on Monday, July 8th. In the challenge, we're going to spend a couple of weeks learning why our children trigger us so much and how to stop being triggered and how we can move beyond the power struggles we get caught up in with our children so we can have the kind of relationship with them where their true needs as people are respected and met and so are ours. And so to help us with part of this, I'd like to introduce my guest, Christine King. Christine is a credentialed K-12 teacher, mother of three, and describes herself as a teacher and perpetual student. She says on her website that when she discovered the tool we're going to discuss today, which is called nonviolent communication or NVC, quote, it seemed like my entire worldview fell into place, my lifelong interest in politics and justice, self-transformation and mindfulness. Christine is a Center for Nonviolent Communication certified trainer and has been teaching NVC principles and strategies to children, college students, teachers and parents for over 17 years. Currently, she teaches NVC at San Quentin State Prison and at the University of California. Today, we're going to talk about how to bring NVC, which helps us to truly understand ourselves and our children to bring a new depth of relationship and ease to our family. Welcome, Christine.
0: Thank you so much for inviting me to your program, Jen. I have listened to a few of your podcasts Oh. I found them both. Yes, I, have. <laughs> I, I found them inspirational and educational. And so I want to thank you for the work you're doing in this world to promote more respectful and more conscious parenting.
1: Oh, thank you. Well, you got a lot to live up to then, don't you? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that's right.
1: So let's start by asking the question that everyone who's listening who has never heard of NBC before is thinking, what the heck is nonviolent communication? And if I've never heard of it and I'm not practicing it, does that mean that I'm communicating violently?
0: Well, <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: I, I have to smile hearing your question, when you say, if I'm not practicing NBC, does that mean I'm communicating violently? And we get uh, that response a lot in the NBC community. And when people first hear the words nonviolent communication, they often say, I'm not a violent person, so <laughs> I don't need this. Mm. And I think their thought is that violence is primarily sort of a physical aggression and they don't see that it's really embedded in the language that we use. So to answer your question, what is nonviolent communication? I once asked that question to Marshall Rosenberg, who's the founder of NBC. And what he said to me was expose a communication process on the one hand and a consciousness on the other. Hmm. So we need both the process and the consciousness In order to stay in that place of connection and compassion, especially when people say things that are maybe painful to hear and difficult. So getting back to that consciousness and the process, the consciousness is this desire to share power with the other person. And that includes children, which means being aware of both their needs and being aware of our needs and trusting that it's possible for both of us to get our needs met. Like even when there's a disagreement. So before just continuing, I want to say a bit more about shared power because children are smaller than us. Yeah. It's so easy for adults to use power over children to get them to do what they want them to do. And so parents often will make demands on their children And especially, of course, the parent, we're tired, we're stressed, you know, maybe we've had a long, busy day, we get home, we just want to rest, the child wants to run around and go crazy and have fun. And so to get them to be quiet or do what we want, we can resort to all kinds of means like bribery, threats, demands, coercion. And so I guess I would say, if you're communicating with those tactics, then Marshall Rosenberg might say it is a more violent way. To communicate, and therefore, that's going to affect the child's trust, their self-esteem, and their willingness to cooperate.
1: Mm. I'm not sure I, before I learned about this, would have equated those sort of techniques that are a regular part of the parenting <laughs> arsenal. Is <laughs> I guess brings it right back to violence, doesn't it? But these are things that we do without even thinking about because we feel as though we need our child's cooperation. And so we're, we're going to talk today a lot more about what else is there. But I think parents are probably thinking, what else is there if I'm not doing these things? <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. Well, we'll talk a lot about that. Hopefully, Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. And so the idea, I just want to make sure we we tease this out fully. You've mentioned sharing power with the other person. and, And I think that that's more natural to do when you're perhaps thinking about communicating differently with your partner. When you're thinking about it with your children, I think that's a really kind of radical concept to think that you might share power with your child instead of having power over them. And that if you do share power with your child, you're not saying I'm not the parent anymore. You know, you and I are equals. You get to say just as much as I do (laughs) what's going to happen. Exactly. So can you just kind of talk us through how that sort of power sharing works in a parent-child dynamic?
0: Yeah. So I think it's not about being a permissive parent Mm. per se, you know, like we talk about, you know, you're either permissive or you're sort of strict parent. It's really just about acknowledging, you know, that your child also has needs and also has feelings. And so if we put our needs above the needs of the child, then the child's going to think, you know, well, my needs don't really matter. I mean, they're not going to think that in a concrete way. Okay. My needs don't matter here, but they're going to feel it and they're going to experience it. So if they are cooperating with us because, we make a demand on them or we somehow, you know, reward them or punish them or in some way expect them to do what we want them to do, then they're, they're going to do it, but they might do it, (laughs) but it's not going to be out of this sense of, yeah, they're really wanting to do it because they feel honored and they feel that they really matter.
1: Mm, Okay. All right. So that leads me nicely to my next question. So we talk a lot on the show and on the resources that I put out in blog posts and things like that about self-determination theory. And that's the idea that all people have a need for autonomy and competence and relatedness. And so I see some connections here in how this intersects with NVC. Can you help us think through that a little bit?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I think that the idea of self-determination and specifically self-determination theory Fits in beautifully with NBC. We all have these natural tendencies to want to learn, to grow, to master our environment, and to also integrate new experiences into who we are. So NBC encourages that self determination and self exploration. So, one interesting aspect of these three elements that you mentioned. Autonomy, competence, relatedness is how much all of them are related not to extrinsic motivations but intrinsic ones. Mm-hmm, yep. So, NBC is based on intrinsically motivating and also power sharing. In nonviolent communication, the belief is that everything we say, everything we do is related to a universal human need. And it's these needs that connects us to the humanity of others. So I want to encourage these intrinsic qualities in children because it's going to make them stronger and more independent adults as well as, you know, strong and independent children.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay, and so before we get into sort of what our needs and we might think I know what a need is, but <laughs> there, there's yeah. sort of a very specific idea here. Can you help us think through what are giraffes and jackals, and how do you use <laughs> how do you use those to explain principles of NVC? Yeah,
0: well, giraffes and jackals are animals, uh-huh. <laughs> and Marshall Rosenberg started using giraffe and jackal puppets to illustrate his message of nonviolent communication. So the idea is that the giraffe stands for heart connection, power with, caring for the needs of both parties. The reason he used giraffe is because it's got a huge heart, one of the largest hearts of any land mammal. Hmm. And so it's very loving illustration. And the jackal is meant to illustrate a more critical perspective. So who's right, who's wrong, who wins, who loses. Mm. There's this sort of kind of win-lose thinking. It's not that the jackal is bad, giraffe is good. This is not, we don't want to be thinking in those kind of you know, right-wrong thinking, but rather the jackal represents habitual behaviors and can be a reminder to return to our compassionate giraffe nature. Mm-hmm. So if you go on YouTube, you can find a lot of videos with Marcia Rosenberg and other trainers using the puppets.
1: And there's one or two of you, isn't there? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> We had so much fun with those puppets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I will uh, post a link to those in uh, the references <laughs> for the episode. So if anyone's curious to see how that sort of explained with these puppets, it's it's a pretty cool sort of elementary way of understanding some of these concepts. So I want to help us to understand what are some of these central ideas of NVC, because then I think that kind of gives us the foundation to moving towards putting these into practice. So it seems to me as though the crux of... Of this is is kind of differences between things that maybe we haven't even thought too much about there being differences between before. So let's start with the first one being what's the difference between observations and evaluations?
0: Great. I'm really glad that you asked me that. So earlier I mentioned nonviolent communication being a consciousness and a process. So now we're talking specifically about the process or the tools. So the first one, is observation. So when we're trying to use the language of nonviolent communication, we want to see things as they really are and not as we judge them or evaluate them to be. So we might say, what would a video camera see or hear? So a video camera It's not going to see my child being a, quote, brat, right? Mm. Because that would be an evaluation or a judgment of the child. Mm -hmm. However, a video camera could hear my child say, no, (laughs) Mm. (laughs) when I say, you know, hey, could you put your toys away? So a video camera would not see the child's room as a mess, It could see toys on the floor, clothes on the bed, dirty dishes on the counter. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So the reason this is so important is that if we are coming from a judgment or an evaluation, we've already decided who's right and who's wrong. Mm. Yeah. And when we come from an observation, there is no moralistic thinking about who's to blame, who's at fault and what they need to do to make it right again.
1: Does that make sense? Absolutely, yeah. And when we make that evaluation, almost always we are the ones in the right, right? <laughs> oh, right, of course we're, right. we're the parents. Yeah, <laughs> if if they would only do things them. my way yeah. or the way that I need them to be done, then things would be better around here.
0: Yeah, and you know, for me, I have to say that observation was the hardest mm-hmm. of all of the tools. There's there's only four tools, yeah. but that one. I spent years just going, okay, that's an evaluation. That's a judgment. <laughs> and again, it's, again, it's like, okay, so that's my jackal, And it's a reminder yeah. to try to return to a consciousness that is more open, more curious, more, you know, just like, okay, so this is what happened. Nobody did anything to anybody. Mm-hmm. This is actually what happened.
1: Right. And I just also want to point out, this is, uh, it seems to me to be sort of a very Western-centric view of the world, the idea that there is a a truth and that people from other cultures may have other ways of seeing this. What do you think about that, just briefly?
0: I love that. I love that. I think we do tend to be a a little bit more, like you say, a little more moralistic, Mm -hmm. more kind of... um, dualistic in the sense of this is right. This is wrong. Yeah. This, is, this is good. This is bad. Mm-hmm. This is appropriate. This is inappropriate. And can we have a more fluidity in that and look at something and just see it for what it is?
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. And so let's go into the second of the four tools. What's the difference between feelings and thoughts?
0: Feelings and thoughts. Mm-hmm. So we often talk about feelings and we talk about false feelings that are attached to a thought. So sometimes we call that faux feelings or victim feelings. So a true feeling is from the inside out. So you're probably not going to argue with me if I say to you, I feel sad, I feel scared, I feel confused, I feel frustrated, I feel mad, you know, because it's my true feeling, right? Yeah. So a false feeling, it may sound like a feeling, But actually, it's a thought with a judgment attached. So, (laughs) for example, I might say to a child, I feel taken for granted, (laughs) right? (laughs) Uh (laughs) Or I feel unappreciated. Mm. Yeah. So you can see that's kind of from the outside in. It's Mm -hmm. not from the inside out.
1: Yeah. And when you say outside in, it has that kind of evaluation baked into it. Uh, it's, exactly. it's not truly something you're feeling. There probably are feelings that you're feeling that are they're making you feel uncomfortable. But being taken advantage of is not one of those feelings.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So when we come from this kind of thinking, then you know, or we say it's a feeling, Mm -hmm. we're actually blaming the child, Mm -hmm. and we're not taking responsibility for our true feelings and our true needs. So let's say I say, I feel unappreciated. Mm -hmm. So what would the parent actually be feeling? Maybe annoyed, Mm -hmm. (laughs) maybe sad, maybe unhappy, because they're wanting some sort of understanding or acknowledgement or something like that. So... So there's kind of a should thinking, you should appreciate me, Mm -hmm. you shouldn't take me for granted. And again, there's blame. So we're trying to avoid that.
1: So since we're on that topic of feelings, we hear a lot these days about emotional intelligence, which I think is defined as the ability to recognize and experience and name our feelings, no matter how uncomfortable they might be. And we touched on this in my episode on emotion regulation. And can you say a bit more about that emotional intelligence idea?
0: Yes, I'd be happy to. I think that there are many parents, I think I was one of them, who want to protect their children from uncomfortable feelings, Mm. which is completely understandable. You know, we don't want our children to feel badly. We don't want them to suffer. So a parent might sort of in a way, I'm going to say, unconsciously, they might deny a child's feeling or discount the feeling. They might say something like, you know, oh, there's nothing to be afraid of or don't be sad. I'll get you another hamster, <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> thinking that this is going to help the child minimize these feelings of fear or sadness or loss. Mm-hmm. And therefore the child's going to suffer less. Right. Yeah. So what can happen if we try to protect our children from you know feelings that we think are uncomfortable or hurt, is that the child might subconsciously think their feelings don't matter. Their feelings are not important or not allowed. So when those feelings might come up for them, they might start to repress them and you know, repressing or exiling feelings, of course, can lead to other problems. Mm -hmm. So the idea then is to allow and encourage our children to feel their feelings as normal and healthy. Then this is going to increase their emotional literacy and their ability to recognize what they are feeling and just allowing those feelings to come and go. And an interesting side note is that children who can recognize and name the feelings of other children are actually more popular with their peers, hmm. which I find interesting.
1: Because they're better able to understand what those children are experiencing and thus able to tailor their own responses, which makes them more liked. Is that kind of how the the idea flies? Yes.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's almost like, it's like they're giving their peers empathy. If they were to say to a child... Oh you seem sad you know they're seeing the cues of the other child experiencing or touching on sadness and it's an empathetic connection with that child which the other child feels kind of validated in their feelings mm-hmm. So yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I just want to throw out one idea that came to me as you were sort of talking through the idea of of validating emotions rather than sort of pushing back on them. One thing I like to do is to think through, okay, what would I do if this happened to an adult or what would happen if this happened to me and somebody was trying to comfort me? You know, if my cat died a number of years ago and if my husband had said, oh, don't worry, we'll get another cat. (laughs) And you know, I would had her for 16 years. I was pretty attached to her. That probably wouldn't Have been very popular and just on a sort of day-to-day basis. You know, our children fall over all the time, they hurt themselves all the time. If I stub my toe and it really hurts, the last thing I want to hear is, Oh, you're okay. (laughs) Right? It's it's insulting. (laughs) Be grateful you
0: didn't break your toe. (laughs) Exactly.
1: It could have been worse. Oh, if only you'd done what I told you to and moved that thing out of the way, you wouldn't have tripped on it. And so we we sort of try and protect protect our children from their feelings at the same time as we're sort of lecturing them on how we told them to prevent it in the first place. And, and instead just a validation of, Oh, you hurt your foot (laughs) would be so much more validating and helpful to them.
0: You know, I uh, teach, you know, college students. So when I give them the uh, lesson on, on feelings, I usually ask them to start by discussing in small groups, how feelings were validated or not validated or how they were represented in their family of origin Mm. and they come up with the most interesting stories about what parents maybe had said to them And, and again this is not in any way blaming the parents but to help them understand how they were trained around feelings and it's really great. They get to see that and then they get to maybe make different choices.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we will certainly be talking a lot more with listeners about that in the coming days. So, we've talked about two of the four tools. Can we go into the third one, which is what's the difference between needs and strategies?
0: So, needs here is where we get to the heart of nonviolent communication by connecting to these basic universal human needs. Mm. And they are universal because most people will say, Yeah, I have that need too. Basic human needs would be things like friendship, love, belonging, contribution, acceptance, understanding, mattering, movement, rest, fun, play, recreation. So we recognize these and others as needs that we also have. So this connects them, connects us to our humanness, to our humanity. So that would be a need. But a strategy then is how we try to meet our need. I remember living in another culture and I'd hear people say, oh, you're such a can do American. <laughs> 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 it's so funny, like they connected Americans are can do. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought at the time it was sort of a compliment. <laughs> but I think that our culture has a really strong emphasis on identifying a problem and then finding a solution Mm. immediately. Let's fix what's wrong. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, especially if you're an engineer, you know, or something, (laughs) you're working on a project. But in everyday human interactions, I I think it's really important to focus on what's important, what matters. And that might be what you're feeling at any given moment. So in the case of the statement, like, okay, I'll get you another hamster. Mm -hmm. It leaves out a super important step. Which, you know, that would be a strategy, right? And that important step is to acknowledge what is going on for that child. What are they experiencing in the moment? So I think that we're just way too often ready to quick jump into a strategy. And if we could just stop and acknowledge feelings and needs, what can happen is often a strategy will arise and we don't have to, to fix it.
1: Okay. And so just to pull that out more fully, sure. if we're, we keep coming back to this hamster example, what might be the need of a child whose hamster has just died?
0: I'm imagining to really fully feel the loss. You know, I don't know that you would say to a child, do you just need to mourn and grieve your hamster? <laughs> But, you you know, using their language, you know, oh, Mm -hmm. you really loved your hamster. You know, you were good friends. And I can imagine you're really going to miss your hamster, you know, just staying with that experience, you know, and not trying to somehow try to jump over what the child is actually, what's up for them in that moment.
1: Yeah. And maybe I'm wondering partly the reason why we do this, we jump straight to the strategies to fix things, is that. I think we're really terrible at identifying our own needs. I was actually talking with a listener in a a new series of episodes that I've been running, which is called Sharing Your Parenting Mojo, which is where I interview listeners about challenges they're having in parenting. And this episode actually with a lady named Shauna will be live by the time your episode comes out. And she was talking about challenges she's having when she feels triggered by her child. And I was saying, okay, can you think through what is your need in that moment when you're being triggered? And she just kind of paused and she said, I, I don't know. I, I don't think about that. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, mm-hmm. that's absolutely right. When we're in that yeah. moment, particularly, it's really hard for us to identify our need. And even when we're not in the moment, I'm not sure I could ent- identify a need that I have at this moment right now, <laughs> you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think that that's true. And I think there's a bit of a kind of reparenting that we kind of need to do of ourselves Mm -hmm. to help us get connected to those basic human needs and values, because ultimately they are the motivators that are driving us. Mm. We, I know just the fact that you're doing this show, right. Mm -hmm. There's a strong need I'm guessing for you and need for contribution and need to be able to support others in a really important skill. And a need for your own learning and growth, because yes. as you research each episode, you're learning and you're Absolutely. growing. So you're, you're meeting all these wonderful needs by just doing the show. We don't always stop to think, what are they? Mm-hmm. But they're happening. They're motivating us constantly.
1: Yeah. And if we can understand better that they are there and that they are motivating us, then we can choose strategies that help us to meet our needs (laughs) (laughs) instead of ones that work against our needs. Okay. But we're going to get to that. (laughs) (laughs) So before we get to that, let's talk through the fourth of the four tools in NVC. What's the difference between demands and requests?
0: So demands would imply no choice whatsoever. Mm -hmm. So I often ask my students, how does it feel when somebody makes a demand on you? Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, the answer is usually doesn't feel good. Uh So if I'm truly making a request, then I know that hearing a no is a legitimate response. Mm. I make a request. I'm asking you to do something. I really only want you to do it if it meets the need of yours, not because, you know, you're hearing it from me and you want to please me or you think you should or something like that. So with demands, the only choice is to submit or rebel and neither option feels good. So from working with children and adults for over 20 years now in nonviolent communication, I've become aware that many people don't always know what they're needing Or, like you said earlier, (laughs) or they're reluctant to express them. So they don't make requests or maybe they just kind of hint at what they want. So when making a request, it's important to be really specific. So make sure the request is doable and frame it by what we do want. So the properties of a request needs to be specific, doable, do want. So say a teacher might say to a child, please stop kicking Marco's chair, right? Which is what they don't want, correct? Mm -hmm. They don't want them to kick Marco's chair. And so the child starts kicking Alex's chair, right? So they're not kicking Marco's chair anymore, but they're kicking somebody else's chair. So a better way might be to say what you do want. So would you please keep your feet under your desk, Mm -hmm. right? Because that's what that's the do want. That's what she's really wanting or he's wanting. So a parent might say, please don't spill your ice cream. (laughs) I've (laughs) never said that. that So that would be don't don't want. (laughs) But the parent could say like, oh, gosh, I'm, you know, when I see you hold your ice cream cone sideways like that, I'm concerned. And I'm wondering if you could try to hold it upright and maybe even show them, like, could you hold it like this so it won't spill? And then the child gets what the do want is, you know. Mm so i notice this like in myself when i'm writing emails i can so easily say to someone what i'm not wanting what i'm concerned might happen and then i reread it i go okay erase 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 <laughs> <laughs> and i i want to use kind of more positive action language and then the energy the attention the focus is on the do want
1: mm-hmm Okay. So that part, I think, is clear that you, you want to phrase what you want to have happen, not what you don't want to have happen. I want to go a bit more in depth on the idea of you know what's m- going to motivate the other person to work with you. And I'm, <laughs> I wasn't planning to do this, but I'm going to use a personal example. So a few days ago, I always unload the dishwasher. Every other morning when the dishwasher is clean, I unload it. And most of the time, it's fine. It doesn't take that long. But sometimes, you know, it would be nice not to be the person who does it all the time. <laughs> we were running late one morning. I think I I had an interview to record. It didn't get done. It's come down to lunchtime. My husband is is working from home at the moment. You know, the dishwasher is still full. And I, I just say to him, do I have to always be the person who unloads the dishwasher? <laughs> 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 and of course, I know NVC. And I think I even thought about using it. And I just thought, you know what? I am frustrated. I am going to, you know, say it in the way I'm going to say it. And he said, okay. <laughs> and then this morning, I had a hard time getting to sleep last night. And so when Karis came into our room early and she wanted breakfast, I said, can you ask daddy to make breakfast? And he came out and made her breakfast. And I heard the dishwasher being unloaded, and I thought, I thought "Is it Mother's Day?" Because that was the last time the dishwasher was unloaded. And then I, you know, realized it had come from this conversation. And so I had made a demand, and he acquiesced. You know, he unloaded the dishwasher. But now I think through it again, it's possible the reason he acquiesced was not to meet a need of his own. You know, it wasn't to meet maybe a need for a connection that he might have with me or something like that. It's because I kind of demanded that he do it, right? <laughs>
0: yeah. And so let's just rewind for just a second. Sure.
1: <laughs> let's so, relive um, my mistake. <laughs> yeah.
0: First of all, it sounds like I think I heard you say that you almost always unload the dishwasher. Right. So you've sort of made it like a job that you do right. in your family. Yeah. And so <laughs> in nonviolent communication we have this saying only do something if it, like, gives you the joy of a child feeding a hungry duck, which, of course, not everything's going to give us that feeling. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, this right? is Marie Kondo. Right. Is this where she gets this from? <laughs> does, does she say that? Well, it's like only <laughs> you get, only oh, have possessions that bring you joy, yeah. yeah. yeah joy. <laughs> so, so it may be that you've had times where you've unloaded the dishwasher and you've kind of maybe, like, not had that sense of, oh, I'm contributing to the family, I enjoy doing this. Mm-hmm. But maybe it started to become a sense of like duty and responsibility. Mm-hmm. Am, I, am I? Yeah, I, I'd, I'd say that's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So when you were kind of overwhelmed and a little stressed, and you were, you know, and the dishwasher didn't get unloaded, let's just go back to what you were feeling at that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't being unloaded, you didn't have time to unload it. And so, you know, you made that comment.
1: Yeah. I didn't feel like I should be the person who always <laughs> does it. I was frustrated. That was my yeah, feeling. I think. Yeah. yeah.
0: So you were frustrated and let's just try to get to what the need might have been in that moment. Mm-hmm. So do you want me to guess or do you want to? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> you would have liked support.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm imagining you would have liked, like shared responsibility around some household chores you would have liked some contribution.
1: Yeah, some. definitely. That I think probably is key. The The idea that we're in this together and that that's yeah. expressed not just through doing the chores, but through other things as well. But the, the chore can sometimes be sort of a symbol of the other things too, right?
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So I think it kind of even rewinding even earlier, so it kind of built up inside of you and built up inside of you to the point where then you kind of had this reaction why am I always the one who has to, you know, empty the dishwasher Mm -hmm. or am I the only one, you know? And he may or may not have even been
1: aware of the fact
0: that you, you
1: know, know, empty the dishwasher. It's possible he wasn't. Yeah. I mean, he does do it for Mother's Day. So he knows somewhere deep inside that it's a treat for me (laughs) not to have to do it every day. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> got it. Yeah. So, so it may be that, you know, before it gets to that point where, you know, it builds up to the point where you've kind of made that comment to actually say, Hey, I'm, I'm noticing that I've got some resistance to emptying the dishwasher all the time. And I'm wondering if we can actually have a conversation about household chores. -hmm. So you you get so you get to actually make a request of your partner and say let's have a conversation about that because there may be certain things you prefer to do and I prefer to do, but there might be other things that we can share in the responsibility. Mm. And let's say you really do want to empty the dishwasher and you like it and you don't mind doing it, but there's times like the other day where you really didn't have time, in which case. I think it might have been easier for you to say, oh, hey, would you be willing to enter the dishwasher, right? <laughs> a
1: you request. The re- yeah, just, just a, request. In, a yeah, in a Would you be willing to do this? And what would his answer have been? His answer would have been yes.
0: <laughs> oh, so yeah. yeah. It sounds like he really enjoys contributing and cooperating and, right. and being part of the Yeah, and soul. he would have helped me if
1: I asked him. Okay, yeah. so so now we've thoroughly dissected how I failed in PC. <laughs> <BC. laughs> wait, wait, wait. Let's talk about... that. Come
0: on, hold on. <laughs> That's <laughs> how, how you could have done it differently. Right.
1: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about how we can do this differently with our children, because I think when our children say or does something that we don't like, we can potentially consider one of four responses. And some of these we might do more automatically, kind of like me and the you know frustrated moment and others we might be less familiar with, but they could be more helpful. So can we walk through those four potential responses? The first one I think is blaming ourselves. Absolutely. Yes. So So, how might we blame ourselves? So this would
0: be like our inner jackal critic. Hmm. So, for example, the child does something that we're not enjoying. Right. So the inner jackal critic says, oh, man, I really blew it. I should have known better. I shouldn't have asked the child to do something that they're not capable of doing. I don't have a clue about how to be a good parent. I'm really crappy at this, right? So there's this internal inner critic. We turn it in on ourselves.
1: Okay, so probably not super productive in in getting the thing done <laughs> or, <laughs> or in sort of developing the relationship we want to have with our children. Okay, so, and the second one's not much better. We could blame others. Yeah,
0: well, so this is... The jackal critic turned outward. So blame ourselves or blame the other. And this one we all know really well. <laughs> so, you know, you're thoughtless, you're careless, you're incompetent. We turn it on them. We don't take any self-responsibility for our part in what's going on. And it's so much easier to point the finger mm-hmm.
1: than look at ourselves
0: <laughs> Yeah. We've been modeled that quite a bit.
1: Yeah. Okay. So, but the other couple of things we can do are more productive. So the first one of those is connecting to our own feelings and needs. How would we go about doing that in a moment where we're maybe feeling frustrated with something our child has done?
0: Yeah. So what you just pointed to is really at the heart of nonviolent communication. And you've heard that expression, put the oxygen mask on before giving oxygen to the child. Mm -hmm. So this would be self-compassion, how we can actually stop, take a moment, take a breath and be able to connect with what's going on for us in that moment Mm -hmm. so um so there's a lot of noise and there's a lot of commotion going on I can just go oh man I'm so tired and I'm so ah, I'm just exhausted and stressed and I just so want ease and peace in this moment so this is like the heart of everything. This is like critical. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest, most important thing we can possibly do is yeah. the self-compassion.
1: Okay. So so when you're in this moment of you're about to respond in this really frustrated way to, to take that second or a few seconds to just attune to yourself first. And then once you have your oxygen mask on, you can turn <laughs> to your child with an oxygen mask <laughs> that asks about their feelings and needs, right? Yeah.
0: Exactly. So we're able to actually turn to the child and say, I'm wondering if you're feeling, you know, upset or frustrated or unhappy because you really want to do this thing or you want to make your own decision about how we proceed with whatever. So we're able to connect with ourselves first, critical. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, and that's what's going to save us. From going into reactivity or being triggered, stop, breathe, pause, <laughs> relax our body. Mm-hmm. What's going on for me? And when I can do that, then it's much easier. I can turn to the other person and go, yeah, I'm, I'm guessing you're really sad about that. You really wanted to spend time with your friend.
1: Yeah. Okay. And you're not ready to go yet and we need to yeah. go because whatever. So yeah. <laughs> we, have, we have stuff you know,
0: to do. Yeah. So we kind of go back and forth between this like, honesty and empathy. So our honesty would be, and I need to get home in time to get dinner ready on the table. Mm -hmm. So we're going.
1: Yeah. So to bring that back to what we said earlier, this is not necessarily about permissive parenting. You don't have to say, because your child is not ready to leave their friend's house. Oh, you're not ready to leave. Okay. We'll stay another hour then. (laughs) But that you can have empathy for their feeling. You may potentially be able to adjust. The scenario, you know, maybe I could call daddy and ask him to put the rice on for dinner so that when we get home, there's not as much to do. And you could have another 15 minutes with your friends, but it's possible that daddy's not home and we need to go and cook dinner. Uh, So we don't necessarily have to roll over as it were and uh, and do whatever our child is asking. It's okay to kind of be the parent and say, this is what we need to do. But at the same time, you can empathize with your child's feelings about that.
0: Yeah, and I think the child can see that we really do respect their choices mm-hmm. and their their desire to do something different and that we're acknowledging that. And I love the like I wish scenario. Yeah. Like <laughs> I wish you could stay here for hours and hours and hours. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and we're still, you know, we try to not use the but because right. the but sort of does erase what we just said. So yeah. and we still have to go.
1: Yeah. Okay, so let's string all this together then. (laughs) Let's make this super practical. So I'm just imagining a typical evening at our house. I'm trying to get the dinner ready. Maybe my daughter's jumping up and down on the sofa and it is starting to drive me up the wall. (laughs) What's going to (laughs) happen? How am I going to handle this? (laughs) Okay.
0: Well, you could say to your child, stop jumping on the sofa. You're
1: driving mommy nuts. Yeah. And then when she keeps doing it, I, in another minute, I could say.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you know, if you were to talk to her like that, that's kind of an automatic response, which may not be the one you want to choose. And it doesn't really respect her needs.
1: Yeah. And it could escalate, you know, it could very easily escalate to Uh, More sort of violent, as it were, language and potentially physically removing her from the sofa or something like that. So, okay, so rather than going in that direction, what are we going to do?
0: Okay, so if we want to go into kind of NBC consciousness, this does it will slow things down a bit, and in the long run it can lead to more harmony and more cooperation in the family. So I would start with what sometimes we call emergency first aid, self empathy. (laughs) (laughs) So you take the time to connect with yourself. So maybe you take a breath, you relax a little bit and you notice what's going on inside your own body and what you're experiencing at the moment. So Jan, what do you think you might be feeling at that moment?
1: I would. think if I've had a hard day at work, I would be exhausted and, Mm uh, possibly exasperated that I've asked Mm -hmm. her once to stop jumping on the sofa and she's still doing it. And potentially also a bit apprehensive that there's going to be a conflict coming. I see it coming (laughs) and I'm not sure what else to do. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So I heard you say somewhat exasperated and exhausted, and so probably feeling some tension, some stress. Yeah. And your body. Yes. Yeah. So that's what you're feeling. And it's a physical, you know, there's this actual body sensations mm-hmm. that we're feeling. Yep. So let's go to the needs. And what are you imagining you might be needing or wanting in that moment? As opposed to a strategy, you're wanting her to stop, right? right. Yeah. What would be the actual human need or value?
1: I think I mean, firstly, it's the need for cooperation in our relationship, that if mm-hmm. I have what I perceive to be a legitimate reason <laughs> that I want her to stop doing mm-hmm. something, that she will cooperate with me, mm-hmm. um, that, that there's kind of a sense of order in our home when I'm trying to get us through this period of getting dinner ready and getting bath done and getting ready for bed. And also kind of a sense of tranquility that we mm-hmm. can do this in a peaceful, calm way, because I find that easier to deal with after a stressful day at work.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. So if you were to get cooperation and when you say cooperation, in this case, you're asking her to do something and you're wanting her to do it. So if she were to cooperate and to stop jumping on the couch and it was a little bit quieter, I'm imagining then your need for tranquility, peace of mind, ease, comfort would be met. Correct? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So you stop, notice inside of you, you know, not so much like, oh, I have that need and it's not being met, but more of a kind of like, oh, this is my need. This is my beautiful need. This is what I would really enjoy right now. <laughs> so we're not coming from a sense of like scarcity of the need, but really just kind of a fullness of how important that is to you. So once you can kind of relax into that, I'm really wanting tranquility. I'm wanting some sense of order and peace and ease. Once we can feel that and really hold that inside of ourselves, then we can turn to the child. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So let's talk about what are you imagining your daughter might be feeling While she's jumping on the
1: couch. I am guessing, I mean, she wouldn't say this because she's uh, four and I don't think her need vocabulary, her feelings vocabulary is, is particularly sophisticated yet. But I think that inside herself, she would be feeling kind of a need for freedom and to do something that her body feels like doing. <laughs> and yeah. so a sense of spontaneity as well, that if I want to jump on the couch, Hey, I'm going to jump on the couch because it feels good. Uh-huh. Yeah. And a, a sense of physical movement in there as well. You know, this is, I need to move my body right now. And because I am spontaneous and because I have this freedom, I'm going to go ahead and do it.
0: Yeah. And and I'm guessing because she's a child, there's also a need for fun and play. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So those are the needs. Mm-hmm. And then I'm guessing she's Feeling probably happy and Mm -hmm. joyful, and somehow there's, like you say, there's a sense of freedom. So I would start with going to the needs, like you said. Oh, you know, you're not going to say to her, "Oh, you're experiencing spontaneity and movement." You know, no. I would start with the fun part. I'd say, "Oh, it looks like you're having so much fun," and she's going, "Wee!" She's, you know, showing it in her whole body that you acknowledge in this moment what's going on for her. And that is giving her empathy.
1: Yeah.
0: And you can say, oh, I can see how much fun you're having and joyful and and so you feel so free in your body. And she can hear that and she can acknowledge that. And it's like you're validating her whole experience in the moment. So when we empathize with someone, It does not mean I agree with you or I disagree with you. It just means I see you. I see what's going on for you. I see how you're feeling. And I'm acknowledging that. Right. So at that moment, then you might say something like, oh, can you stop for a moment and talk to mommy? I don't know if you talk to her like that, but talk to me. Mm -hmm. And then you get to give her your honesty and your honesty is pretty much the same as your self-empathy. So maybe you say something like, you know, the sound is hurting my head and it would be really nice if I could have a little bit of quiet, but I know how much fun you're having. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering if we can talk about a way that you can have fun and I can also have some quiet. Mm. So so children, I think, really want to please their parents if they can also meet their own needs. Yeah. So you might find this is where, again, the strategy might find you you might find that she has a really creative way to make this work.
1: Yeah, and we've definitely seen this already because we use problem-solving tools that are sort of similar to this. Yeah, that's exactly the moment where she'd say, I'm going to go and jump on the bed. <laughs> 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 so she's in her room jumping on her bed. It's far enough away from me that I don't have to hear it. <laughs> right. She's getting her need met. I'm getting my need met. And she's she's actually getting really good at at identifying these kind of mutually agreeable solutions.
0: Oh, how wonderful. So I think when children sense that you're not just trying to get your own way, right? Yeah. They're going to be much more helpful. And even small children, they want to contribute. They want to be part of the solution. Yeah. And I just want to tell you another quick little story of something that happened to me this week. I was in Santa Cruz where I teach and I was staying in a hotel room and I was exhausted And I had to be at the university early the next morning. It was like 10 p.m. And there were three women in the room next to my room. They were laughing. They were talking morally. (laughs) They're having such a good time, just like your daughter, right? And so I'm like, okay, well, I'm an NBC trainer. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I went to the door and I knocked on the door. And immediately there was silence in the room. <laughs> <laughs> right? Nobody came to the door, nothing. Yeah. And so I waited, I just stood there for a minute, like nothing happened. So I knocked again. And then I heard this voice go, Who is it? <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's the police. So, yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> I, yeah, I could have said that. But instead, I said, Oh, I'm staying in the room next door. And it sounds like you guys are having so much fun in there and really enjoying yourselves. And then I heard this voice go, yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I said, well, I need to get up early the next morning. And I'm wondering if you would just be willing to lower your voices and speak a little softer. Mm -hmm. And they were quite pleasant. And they agreed. They said, oh, sure. You know, and believe it or not, I didn't hear another word all night. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure what happened, because in other cases like that, I think they might have been quiet for a little bit of time and mm-hmm. then all of a sudden gotten louder again, but they didn't. Mm. And I think it really helped that I recognized their feelings. I recognized their needs first before making a request to get my needs met.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so this is such a powerful tool for your communication with anybody, you know, whether it's someone that you're a relationship that you're truly invested in, like you are with your partner, with your child, or with somebody who you never even met face to face. They were on the other side of a door.
0: <laughs> you know, and I think, you know, I really, really had to come from a perspective of I'm willing to hear a no. Yeah. You know, and if that were true, I could get some earplugs or Mm -hmm. I could request to be in another room or I could find some other strategy or some other solution to get my needs met. Because it's not always like you have to meet my needs. I can meet my own needs. And that's really important to know and to
1: acknowledge. Yeah. It doesn't have to be about the other person changing their behavior or changing something important about themselves. Yeah. it can be you You making a change as well. Okay. So I want to shift gears a little bit as we're sort of heading towards a conclusion. So regular listeners to the show like that I always kind of look for peer-reviewed research on the effectiveness of the strategies and tools that I recommend. And I tried to do that here. And <laughs> there are a few studies that have found NVC to be effective for things like reducing the recidivism rate, which I'm guessing is one reason you're at San Quentin, yeah. and mm-hmm. higher levels of empathy in college students. But the research is really hampered by a lot of constraints, not least of which, which is that the way that traditional standardized tests measure empathy doesn't actually really measure empathy in the way that it's defined by NVC. And so I'm wondering if you're surprised that there hasn't been a greater effort to design and validate better measurement tools to study the effectiveness of NVC. And also just to get some kind of sense of what gives you the confidence to know that this tool is something that you want to put your life's work into.
0: Yeah, yeah. Jen, that's such a great question. Certainly, it helps to have research to substantiate any claims that this process is effective and worth listening, worth learning. Mm -hmm. So people like to know things are scientifically proven. (laughs) (laughs) So um, this is a topic that has been discussed quite a bit by the trainers, the certified trainers, that as of yet, there really are only just a handful of studies. And I think part of it is because Marshall Rosenberg, he was 100 percent committed sharing nonviolent communication. He really didn't have time for research and there wasn't really money, you know, when this was all being, you know, spread and taught and when he was still alive. So it was a grassroots organization, never received much in the way of public money. or foundation money, at least the first 20 years, that's true. So you ask, you know, why would I devote my life energy to something that has not been fully measured and validated? I have been a meditator for over 40 years and it's only been i would say the last 10 to 15 years where a significant amount of research has been done to prove the benefits of meditation mm-hmm. right yep so i knew when i first meditated that it had a profound impact and i continue to see the value of it and i also feel the same about nonviolent communication because To me, you know, I look at my life and I feel like my life is better than it's ever been. My relationships are healthy and strong. And I've also helped a number of other people improve their relationships. Mm -hmm. So to me, it's really all about learning and growing. And I really believe that relationship is a path to self-discovery with self and with others. So I love it, and there is a bit of research that's been done, but nothing really conclusive and substantive like you said. And what's interesting is compassion, which, of course, nonviolent communication has also been called compassionate communication. It's even a newer area of research, but I know research is forthcoming from Stanford and other universities, so I think we'll start seeing a lot more of that.
1: hmm Yeah, and just on a sort of anecdotal basis, I have to say this has really ruined a lot of TV watching for me. I was just rewatching old episodes of The West Wing, and they have so many political crises they try and negotiate through, and I'm just thinking, of course they can't figure out an agreement on you know how to partition Israel and Palestine because they don't understand each other's needs. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they're just talking about you know you did this and we did that, and they never get to the underlying thing. And so once you start to you know pick up these ideas and this vocabulary. You see it mm-hmm. everywhere in our culture that we just mm-hmm. don't do it. And if we could sort of take on these ideas of identifying our feelings, identifying our needs, I mean, it, the implications could be so profound for so mm-hmm. many tiny conflicts about the dishwasher to massive conflicts that affect millions of people.
0: Yeah, So yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And I think what we see in the popular culture is really a reflection Of this sort of sense of separation and who's right, who's wrong, who wins, who loses, who's the good guy, who's the bad guy. And it's in every almost every story. It's the whole drama triangle, victim, villain. Hero. Mm, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. If it's a good guy old, and a bad old. guy, then yeah, it's, yeah. you can't truly understand everybody's needs. Can you? <laughs> no,
0: no yeah. it be nice
1: though. Yeah. And so I think sort of bringing it back to us parents, one uh, reason that we struggle with a, a tool like this, I mean, when I was identifying my needs, parents may have been listening to this thinking, oh, well, she can really do that really well and identify her needs. And I'm going to tell you a cheat. There are lists of needs online and feelings, <laughs> mm-hmm. And I had to look at the list (laughs) to think, oh, yeah, that's what I would be feeling at the moment when my daughter's jumping on the couch. And I think, you know, as I heard and and listeners will hear from my listener, uh, Shana, who we mentioned earlier, you know, we just find it too hard to identify what is our need, what is our feeling, and then, you know, what's the right one and connect the feeling to the need. And so you actually developed some games that can help us with this. So I wonder if you can tell us a bit about that.
0: Ah, yes. And thank you for asking. And just to backtrack a little bit to what you're saying about how hard this is, I do think there's a, kind of an awkward phase of learning nonviolent communication where I just, like, I remember when my kids were teenagers and I'd say, are you feeling... <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh, mom, are you doing that
0: NBC (laughs) stuff again? I hate it when you do that, you know? And, you know, because it's like a whole shift of consciousness, you know, we're used to doing it a different way. And so trying to really learn, not only learn the tools, but learn the consciousness, it's a lot. It's like taking a a giant cargo ship and trying to turn it around on a dime. You know, it's going to take a really long time to really do it and to do it in a way that, it doesn't feel awkward or stilted or mechanical. But once we get past that kind of awkward stage, there's something just really beautiful about it. When I first started having success, it wasn't with my family. It was in the sauna at the gym, <laughs> <laughs> Okay, <laughs> you know, where you're in a little box with people. And they're like, why are those women out there in the pool and they're doing their aerobic exercises? I wanted to swim. And I could say, yeah, you really need your exercise. Uh-huh. <laughs> they go, yeah. <laughs> so I didn't have to go into justifying why they were having an aerobics class and and just I could just connect with that person. Yeah. And, and so eventually I got got around to being able to use it with my kids and they didn't. It was kind of um, stealth, you know, NBC. They <laughs> <I> didn't know. <laughs> anyway, getting back to the game. So my colleague, Gene uh, Morrison and I, uh, started designing NV products probably about 15 years ago. We started with a game called Grok, G-R-O-K. And it's based on a science fiction book called Stranger in a Strange Land, where people grok each other. They don't have to really talk. They just completely understand another person. Hmm. So the game includes 70 feelings cards, 70 needs cards, along with an instruction manual that gives 20 ways to play the game. So we've sold over 35,000 copies. Whoa. World, yeah. It's been <laughs> translated into six languages. And I think why people like it so much is both because it's fun, but also it's a real holistic approach to, to learning this, these tools. So there's the auditory and the visual and the kinesthetic. So it's it's playful and fun, but it's also very holistic. So we also have a kids version called Kids Grok, which has illustrations of bears for the feelings and needs cards. And it also has a booklet for parents and teachers and guardians who work with children and kind of explains how to work with all the different cards. So anyone who might be interested can go to our website the website's called Grok the World. And again, that's spelled G-R-O-K, Grok the World. And can I also put a little plug in for, for other trainers who are doing work with children? Yeah, good for it. So there's a trainer named Sura Hart and her partner, Victoria Kindle, And they have a game called the No Fault Game, which uh, is being used in classrooms like all over the world to help children learn nonviolent communication. And another thing I think that might be interesting for parents is there are NVC family camps all around the country so that you can just do a search for NVC family camps.
1: Mm. And so just to go back to your game, you were kind enough to send me a copy of it. And when it came in the mail, I opened up the box and, and I saw all the feelings cards and the needs cards And I have to say, I was initially slightly underwhelmed. I thought, oh, it's needs cards and, and, you know, cards with pictures of needs on and, and feelings. And then I kind of put it aside and I came back to it and I read the booklet that came with it and I just went, oh it's it's the cards are there to kind of support you through this process but the real meat of it is in this booklet that it it gives a a brief background on nvc and has these really fun games for you know identifying needs and feelings and and i took it on a camping weekend that was coming up shortly after i received it and we were with a another five and a half year old and my daughter's four and a half and so we were just sitting around the campfire you know flashing needs and feelings cards at each other. And, you know, one child would hold one up so they couldn't see it. And we would have to get them to guess what was the need on the card by our acting it out. And they were totally oh, into it. So and hard. and her parents were like, what are you guys doing? And I explained it. And they said, oh, wow, I can't believe she's learning something that can really improve her emotional literacy. And she's so into it. And so, yeah, it was going from that underwhelmed uh, opening to, uh, wow, this is really cool, was, was kind of a, a cool experience for me. So Mm -hmm. I would definitely recommend getting that kid's game. And, you know, I think there are probably 20 different ways you said that you can play with just these really simple cards that Mm -hmm. can really increase your children's vocabulary. Because, I mean, quite frankly... I have a lot to, of work to do on this to be able to better identify my feelings on the fly and my needs on the fly. And I know that my daughter does as well. You know, she knows happy, she knows sad, she knows frustrated, but there are so many other feelings out there that can potentially, you know, the the words that can better encapsulate what she is actually truly feeling. And if I can give her mm-hmm. that vocabulary, then, mm-hmm. I mean, life is going to be a richer experience for for yeah. doing that, I think.
0: Yeah. And she can start recognizing things like, oh, this is what disappointment feels like. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, yeah, there's that. And then another tool to recommend is uh, a book by a woman named Inbal Kashtan, and it's called Parenting from Your Heart. And Marshall Rosenberg, who started NVC, has a, a book on parenting as well. I have to say, (laughs) Christine and I talked about this before we got online, and neither of us were in love with Marshall's book on parenting as much as we love NVC. But Inbal's book is really fabulous. It's super short. I think it's only 30 or 40 pages. It's a booklet rather than a book, but it just gets to the heart of everything that we've talked about today and really kind of distills it and makes it into these easier to use tools. Is there anything else that you want to say about what you learned from that book?
0: Well, I think she goes into a lot of examples, which I think is really, really, really helpful for parents. And she taught parenting for a long time. And, you know, it's called parenting from your heart, Mm -hmm. which I think is really what it gets to, like really having that heartfelt heart connection parenting. So, yeah, very, very helpful.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I feel as though we've, we've covered a lot of ground here and we've really dug fairly deeply into what is NVC. And at the same time as understanding the the concepts, we've given parents a lot of tools that they can use. And I'm going to put some references in the show notes for this episode where you can find links to the game that Christine developed, which again is called Kids Grok. And you can find that at groktheworld.com. And all the other things that she's mentioned about the videos about jackals and giraffes and, and even the ones yeah. of her doing that, Uh And, uh, you know, other uh, the lists of feelings and needs that you might want to print out and stick on your fridge and use as a reference point until you get more comfortable identifying these things. We'll put, put all those in the in the show notes. So thanks so much for sharing your time today, Christine. I'm really grateful. Thank you, Jan. I thoroughly
0: enjoyed it.
1: Thanks for joining us for this episode of Your Parenting Mojo. Don't forget to subscribe to the show at yourparentingmojo.com to receive new episode notifications and the free guide to seven parenting myths that we can leave behind. And join the Your Parenting Mojo Facebook group for more respectful research-based ideas to help kids thrive and make parenting easier for you. I'll see you next time on Your Parenting Mojo.